Welcome to Blink of an Eye, life stories of trauma, loss, awakenings, and epiphanies, beginning with one mom's journal entries recorded in real time of a catastrophic diving accident rendering her teenage son paralyzed from the neck down and the courageous fight to save his life. Told through unedited text and journal entries and inspiring guest interviews, Blink of an Eye will take you on a powerful journey of advocacy and hope and an unvarnished look at the true nature of our relationships and interconnectedness in the face of an event that changes everything. Season 2, Episode 15, Moving Towards the Pain. Hello, everyone. It's always good to be back with you. For those of you who write me, I love that you love the insight questions in the blink of an eye story. Well, I don't actually say insight questions, but that is what I now refer to them as. They didn't start out that way. It was just our way of conversing with each other, really but many of you have told me you find them useful for pausing and thinking about your own life and sort of getting on the record, if you will, in your own mind so you too can go back and explore. You have referred to them as question prompts or I loved how you called them Louise talking to me questions. (laughs) Yes, I love that because I am talking with you. That's how it feels for me too. We are on the trauma healing journey together, wherever each of us is on the path. The important part is that you are on the path and that implies your courage to move towards the pain. I hope you know you are not alone. And if you are listening in to Blink of an Eye as a good story, that's okay too. We are all welcome at the table, as my Grams used to say, whatever our appetites. About the insight questions, I am also learning that some of you are using them as conversation starters with friends. I love that too. And I heard from others of you that you are creating blink of an eye gatherings with kids and students and friends using the insight questions for discussion. Oh boy, that is so wonderful and inspiring. Your creativity and responsiveness are prompting me to think about how I can support you in your blink of an eye gatherings. I'm thinking of compiling a blink of an eye booklet, a small book for each season of the story with episode show notes and the insight questions. That way, you would have them handy for your gatherings. So I'm looking for sponsors. If you or your company, nonprofit, or place of work is interested in sponsoring one of these booklets, please write me and let me know at louise at blinkofaneyepodcast.com. I imagine 
we could have gatherings of like-minded lifelong learners, sort of like book clubs. <laughs> Maybe we call them blink of an eye conversation salons, where you listen to a blink of an eye episode beforehand and then meet to talk about it using the insight questions as conversation starters. Pretty wonderful and inspired by you. And it's part of how important community is for trauma healing. You may want to go back and give a listen to Trauma Healing Learning 14, Low on Options, Full of Community. It's all about how community gatherings and what you are doing contribute to the trauma healing journey by providing access to a resource that you have had all along yourself. If you are gathering friends or students to talk about Blink of an Eye episodes, please write me and let me know. If it's by Zoom, maybe I will drop in to one or two of these gatherings. Welcome to episode 15, Moving Towards the Pain. Moving towards the pain might be the last thing you or I would want to do or even ever think about doing when we are in emotional pain or feeling physical pain. Who would want to move towards pain? But indeed, another of the learnings for trauma healing is to do just that. While some physical pain we experience in our bodies is structural, from a wound or an injury or surgery. We know from ancient cultures as well as cutting edge medical research, Dr. Howard Schrivener is one, that much of the pain you and I experience has been constructed in our minds by what we tell ourselves and what we have come to believe. I will explore more of this in the Trauma Healing Learning 15, Moving Towards the Pain. Today, in this episode of the story, I'll bring you in to some of my beliefs and some of my limiting belief experiences. You will hear a few Archer blog entries and some actual notes in my phone of the many things that were happening on this day where everyone was trying to keep Archer alive. Ironically, amidst a backdrop of no real options for rehabilitation and no real options to get Archer transported out of the hospital. So settle in, settle your spirit, anticipate something of benefit for yourself or for someone you love <laughs> or for someone in your blink of an eye conversation salon. Just notice what comes up for you, what it is that stirs in your body, is memorable, is something that might be giving you a clue to a new insight or something to return to. Okay, here we go. Back to August 2015 at Atlantic Care Hospital in the Trauma Intensive Care Unit. 
episode 15, Moving Towards the Pain. Life can change in the blink of an eye. Day 24, Friday, August 28, 12.30 a.m. It was late. I watched Archer closely. His breathing was barely perceptible. At least he wasn't in the unbearable pain he'd been in for the last two days. From the back-to-back long surgeries. Yes, they put him under general anesthesia again in another add-on surgery tonight. Both of his lungs collapsed after the lung section and staple surgery. I knew the implications. He had no capacity for a ventilator or a lung machine to help him now in any way. They performed what they called a pleurodesis. It was a surgery of last resort, done out of desperation, I think. They went in and opened Archer's chest up and sprayed into the cavity of air between his chest walls and deflated lungs, a talcum powder chemical. Can you imagine? To purposefully cause a radical searing of the lining of his chest walls and the tissues of his lungs, inflaming them so as to cause so much irritation and scarring that the membranes of the deflated lungs would adhere themselves to the chest wall. The intention is to hold the collapsed lungs up as if they are glued up in the hope they can then be inflatable with air pumped in from the ventilator to keep Archer alive. It's ghastly. The combination of lung surgeries caused Archer to experience searing pain. Remember that silent scream when they put the blood pressure medications in his drip bag by accident and it caused his head to explode internally? He had the same desperate, open mouth, wild-eyed look from this pain. He had no way to scream or yell but he threw back his head, causing the neck brace to no longer line up with his neck. And while his body is limp because paralyzed, the writhing of his neck and twisting of his face, it actually caused his body or something did to twitch or some kind of deep pain in his body was sending secondary impulses. But his paralyzed body twitched. I saw it. It was gruesome. I didn't understand it. But I knew it was awful. Oh my God. Please, God, have mercy on us. I knew this time, like the blood pressure time, was different from the other pain. Archer knew from when he was a boy that when he got hurt, that it was best not to fight pain, 
especially physical pain. It was best to breathe into pain and try to relax. I knew this from my somatic bodywork related to my journey in conflict and conflict transformation. I had helped clients breathe through emotional pain that had caused them to have shortness of breath. And I had breathed with my children over the years through physical pain. When they fell off a bicycle or got injured playing sports or touched football or skiing to relax them. So the pain did not get worse by the mind contributing to it or participating in it. Oh, it hurts. Oh, yes. I know it does. Breathe with me. Come on. Just let it be. Don't fight it. It will pass. Archer, darling, scream. I know it is brutal. Move with it, darling. Don't fight it. It will not go on forever. Archer, place your mind on the pain and imagine what it looks like. Just follow it. It's moving. Allow it to move. Put your focus on it, Archer. Allow it to pass through. Oh, please, God, have mercy. Please, God, release him from this anguish. But how to lessen structural pain when the insides of his body have been set on fire. I ran for the staff. Morphine and fentanyl didn't seem to be enough. It remained constant. After two hours and little of any change, they drugged Archer into a coma-like sleep. It was eerie to see him in the drug-induced sleep. I studied him closely to watch his slow and shallow breathing and to see his body continue to twitch in pain. I still didn't understand that, but he was out of the misery of feeling the pain, at least for a while. I had so many questions about pain and quadriplegia. Sleep, my love. Allow your body to heal. My phone rang. Hello? Is this Louise Sepp? Yes. I'd like to talk with you off the record. Who is this? It's Bernadette Morrow. You don't know me. I work with the Christopher and Dana Reed Foundation. I've been following your blog on your son. I'm not calling you in my official capacity, but off the record. Can you talk? Yes. You've got to get your son the hell out of there. They're harming your son. She told me we had to get our son to a place called the Shepherd Center. It was a spark in the night, but it also frightened me. I had to navigate how to get there. 
Because Archer's accident was categorized by our medical insurance carrier as a catastrophic injury, Archer had been assigned to a special insurance case manager whom I had to call and check in with every couple days. I had been warned that if I did not keep her up to date on everything, that we risked being denied coverage. Sort of like probation or something, I guess. So I picked up the phone and I called our case manager at one o'clock in the morning. I knew it would be a recording, but I also knew she would get back to me in the early morning. I left a message explaining that we were considering the Shepherd Center in Atlanta, Georgia, and I wanted to know if this out-of-state facility would be included in our coverage. Billy and I had attended college at the University of Virginia. UVA, besides being one of the most beautiful places on the planet, attracts students from all over and has a good number from the South. Some of my best friends are from my college days. I knew it was very late, but I sent a text to a number of my UVA friends, the ones who had been texting me, and I asked if anyone had a contact in Atlanta or with the Shepherd Center. In less than 15 minutes, I learned that my own sister, Elizabeth, had a friend and about three other people had contacts too. It was amazing. I texted to ask if anyone could find out what the chief admissions criterion was. In less than 30 minutes, I had information that the admissions process to get into Shepherd was rigorous and could take a while. And the number one criterion to get in for spinal cord injury was prior athletic ability. Archer had that. In spades. I drove back to Cape May and felt hopeful. August 28, 2015, day 24, Friday, morning messages from Louise to my family. I dressed to head back this morning after showering. I smiled because we all layer up our summer clothes to prepare for the 50-degree ice chest hospital room, even though it's still a beautiful 88 degrees in Cape May. I've inquired as to why it's so cold, and no one seems to know. I'm hoping Pete might find a ski cap in the Cape May surf shop today and bring it for Archer's head to hold in his body heat since I think it might help with the body's natural regulation that is impaired now due to the severed spinal cord. Even though Archer is categorized as a complete quadriplegic, that's actually a medical term we are learning, quadriplegic complete. We know and believe he will have ability. The thermostat goes to 80, and I asked if we could make his room a bit warmer. A nurse pushed the thermostat, but the temperature hasn't much changed, even though there is heat coming from the heater. It's odd. Same with our previous room. 
cap on the toothpaste. It's not the shrine of it. Oh my goodness, all my boys leave their toothbrushes and cap off the tube. It's the, it's the pause that Archer was able to take the cap off and leave it on the sink. And my sadness, I wish I could have a thousand times more to fellow, please put the cap on the toothpaste. I want to be able to say that again to him. Please let everyone know on the down low, especially Liz, who first raised it, that I think we may go to Shepherd. The Christopher Reeve Foundation called. Seems like a good resource. They said they would help navigate me to Shepherd. It looks like the air transportation may not be covered by our insurance if it's a lateral ICU to ICU transfer, which is a barrier. And we have not yet been able to talk with Archer as he's been too weak and in too much pain the last three days. But today, we will broach the subject of Atlanta rather than Baltimore. He loves Baltimore, so we will see. It's the right place for him, I know, energetically. It will be hard, and I don't know what it will look like with our family, as I have my practice that supports us financially, and Dutch is still at home. But one foot in front of the other. Even Archer weakly mouthed to me when I raised the rehab topic for the first time four or so days ago, one day at a time. He might be ready to ponder it today as he had a good night sleeping and I came home for a bit. Pete is there with Dutch. I'll go back after I shower and dress. Thank you, Liz and the Kappa Alpha Theta Connections. If we go to the Shepherd Center, I may call upon the goodness of everyone's Atlantic connections if we are there more than 30 days. And I anticipate three to four months. But we just need to get Archer over this hump of long-term acute care, which is befuddling everyone and is an oxymoron unto itself. Hugs and kisses, XO. I also found this note in my phone notes for the same morning, but I don't think it was sent to anyone. It's all about unity. We yearn for it. We need it. It's good for us. God lives through us when we are unified. It's so beautiful. Archer's injury purpose. We will live in the mystery of how that unfolds. I was trying to track my emotions and be more aware of which ones I had and not to get too swept up in them, especially in the mornings as I drove to the hospital up the Garden State Parkway.
I had scared myself a bit one morning about a week ago at how long I'd been crying as I drove in agony and then opened my eyes and was at mile marker 20 with no awareness at all of even driving. And another morning when I realized I was already at mile marker 32 but had no recollection of even leaving the island and driving up the parkway those 32 miles because my mind was so awash in thoughts and emotions. I also had a sense that everything was significant. Like I needed to remember and feel everything. That I would need to tell Archer what happened someday of what he went through. And that in order to do that, I needed to be able to remember, which meant I needed to not get stuck in my own pain and agony. I knew this. I knew this from my years of teaching and comfort transformation, self-awareness, and somatic work, and from the years of teaching family systems and methods of integration. As I drove, I actually made a voice note I found. Louise, you are at risk for getting stuck in your own pain if you don't allow it. Remember to allow it and allow in that Archer is a quadriplegic. I couldn't believe that note that I found on this day. It sort of still makes my nose stink, but not like it used to where it brought me to my knees. Yes, I was the one needing to accept. I was working on the integration of holding on to the potential of a miracle and accepting the reality of what we faced. I have a lifetime ahead of me to do this work. Maybe you do too. Maybe we all do. I had been meeting with a group of Enneagram teachers for many years at Bergamo to lessen the grip of the limiting beliefs of our personalities. And for me as a conflict transformation practitioner, to lessen personal reactivity. It was with this group of teachers that I learned to cultivate awareness of what goes on in my body. I'm an emotional person and I'm a heady person too with a lot of mental activity that I like to put in motion to have impact and get things done. Maybe you are too. Well, if so, I've learned that this is not always so good if you want to be aware of the somatic feeling, the sensations inside your body. So it's taken me years to learn how not to lunge into life, but to slow down enough to pause 
and pay attention to the sensations of my body for their wisdom before I move so quickly into action. This is also for me where my faith and more specifically prayer is so integral for my healing path because prayers and the beads of a rosary allow me to pause and get out of my head and get out of my thinking to a quieter place that gives me access to my body and to that other wisdom I know God has given to all of us. Somatic wisdom, the sensations inside our bodies. So I've learned to scan my body and just notice. But those days with Archer, when he was in so much pain, I literally had completely forgotten to scan my own body as I was so detached from my body, so focused on his, and had no awareness at all what was going on inside of me. Until I opened my eyes as if for the first time and saw those mile markers while I was driving. I'd seen them a zillion times before, but it was so brand new. And it sort of woke me up. And as I drove on in this quiet time, I tried to check in with myself for how my body was doing. It was not easy because my head was swimming in thoughts of how to get Archer out of Atlanticare, how to figure out a way he could be assessed, how to get someone to Atlanticare to do that, how to finesse it so it would not be a unilateral ICU to ICU transfer, so it could be covered by insurance, how to frame it so Atlanticare had run out of options and that the Shepherd Center had what they didn't without Atlanticare feeling like a failure. I was in full-on mind strategy mode and had no awareness whatsoever of any somatic sensation I was carrying. But as I tried to focus my attention inward, I knew not to fight my busy mind, but rather to invite it to slow down for a moment. I remember distinctly how I promised myself I would get back to all those thoughts if they would just release me so I could pause for a moment while I drove. I realized my hands on the steering wheel were a little tingly. Okay, what else? My stomach, my gut, and my solar plexus, too, had this low-grade buzziness. Okay. It was actually familiar to me. A sensation I used to just plow through or not pay much attention to at all because it would just slow me down. But I had learned as an adult to pay attention to the sensations of the body. 
they always inform us. I wish I had learned that as a child, but it was good to know now. It's not easy. What else? As I tried to focus and watch the road at the same time, I noticed how the scenery outside had changed so much during the, gosh, almost month we had been in the ICU. It was late August now. I tried to empty my mind even of those thoughts just to see what comes. The end of summer. That buzzy, restless feeling in my solar plexus stirred again as the changing late August scenery passed me by. And I was able to name that sensation because of the years of my Enneagram work. It was panic, low grade, but very present. I often felt panic if I felt I was being separated from something essential. I focused on the restlessness as it was moving to my chest. As I became more aware of it, it became more painful. I let it flutter in my chest and realized it was burning, sort of tearing around my heart. What is this about? I had this growing sense that the world my family and I knew was moving on with their lives, moving on without us. We were not moving along. Archer was not. Maybe Archer never would. Maybe as a family, we never would. That we would not fit into our old world anymore. Or maybe we were leaving that old world behind, but I love that old world. Is that, is that what these sensations are about? Louise, those are your thoughts. Go back, go back to following the painful sensation. I went back to focusing on the feeling inside as I toggled watching the road and the cars. It was like my heart was being squeezed hard. That is what it felt like somatically. Like being cut off, squeezed from living. And as I named this to myself, the tears began again. Oh, my God. But they were different tears. The emotional pain of a new reality. They were the tears of deep loss. But not just for Archer of a way of life as we knew it, of my life as I knew it. 
I felt the separation from others and the rest of the world. It was the end of summer. Everyone was planning to go back to work after restful, joyful vacations. They were preparing their children for school. That's where I wanted to be too. It was very real. I also wanted to be in no other place beside Archer. I wanted to be in both. And it was tearing me apart. I know it is common to have feelings of separation when you have suffered great loss and trauma. And I know it's different for each person. This was mine. Maybe you have yours too. I drove on. What I know now and knew then too about pain but I was not fully capable of accessing that type of knowing in those moments, is that the split that I felt, the separation between the two worlds I was facing or leaving or losing, while all part of the human experience of losing what we believe is essential, that feeling is only partly It's an incomplete truth, right? There is a deep, authentic truth to the feeling of being left behind or left out or cut off or no longer belonging. And it is and can be brutally And it is part of our being human, part of our dual nature. But there is also an expansive, wider truth, a divine truth, that we are already included and connected with everything. We already belong because we always While I couldn't access this knowing on my drive then, I had text messages and prayer offerings when I returned to the hospital on my phone that were valuable reminders, valuable resources, valuable access points to my And I had glimmers later in the night as if the angels tended to me. As I sat bedside to Archer, I smelled the sweet scents of lavender. I think it lifted the vibration in the room and carried my soul for a moment. It was a sweet moment. That panicky feeling that had been tormenting me, then seemed to be put on pause. And I asked it what it wanted me to know. And I smelled the frankincense. 
and I felt carried. You are not alone. And I knew I was not drowning. I would watch Archer's monitors and tell myself how grateful I was that he was alive. Oh, how our trauma healing journeys are full of ruptures and repairs of the past, of the future, and in the now. I know yours are too. I was resigning myself that we would not be leaving Atlantic Air anytime soon. I also imagined my boy walking as if we would somehow walk out together. And then I would ask myself, how will you accept this, Louise, if Archer never walks again? And I would be filled with a voice that said, stay hopeful. He will have a good life. Yes, there were all these moments that were full of perfect knowing. I recognized them as opportunities for integration, but I couldn't have actually articulated it like that back then. I was having both painful flashes and hopeful glimmers. And I suppose it was both the flashes that carried loss and the glimmers that beckoned potential, that together were shaping the new reality of both. And I could accept that. And together, they were enough to carry me through. That part I was aware of and grateful. Perhaps you have had these moments too. I'm sure you have. I honestly felt like I was in an altered state of mind at times. It's hard to explain. Earlier when Archer was in so much pain, it was as if I were too. And I would focus so intensely on imagining where his pain was in his lungs and chest and try to see it and follow it, believing that my energy and focus might loosen some of the constrictions he felt. I did believe that. And it often had over the last couple weeks, as Archer would indicate with his eyes, a calming, a ceasing. But last night, it was like I almost levitated at one point, like I was floating in the deepest desire to alleviate Archer's pain before they put him in the sleep coma. But in that moment, I was filled with love and this desire to stay in close emotional connection to all my children to my brothers and sisters, to my sisters and brothers-in-law, and to my friends. And I sort of saw all 
these golden threads of love, like a network of synapses, of connection being woven around Archer. And I lay my head ever so gently, super lightly on his chest as he slept to feel his heart beat as I felt this desire to wrap him in these golden threads. I did. The pain Archer felt last night was almost too much, though. I thought about him as a little boy and how I raised all my children that when they got hurt, like all scraped up from falling off a bicycle or got something ripped or torn or broken through playing sports or skateboarding or skiing, that even when they were very young, to relax into the pain and not fight it. Even when they were wild-eyed as youngsters, especially if there was blood, I would get very close to them holding their hand, even as they screamed in pain. And then in fear, I'd get eyeball to eyeball and we'd breathe together. Yes, it hurts a lot. Yes, breathe in, it will go away. And it would pass. And on occasion, I would also distract them to a pleasant image like the dolphins in the ocean at the beach. Or I'd make them laugh like their big toe doesn't hurt, does it? It's the distraction piece that can be equally useful for moving toward pain. Ironically, to acknowledge the pain and then to distract the mind when it is not ready to focus on the somatic sensation. This distraction is a resource. It helps to not conflate the pain with conjured up fear and mental projections. I knew this well. Perhaps you do too. Of course you do. Because this is what we all do that makes our pain I've been on awareness alert for years of my adult life to try to notice when my mind begins to wind up my emotions and my thinking to make something worse. And I try to head it off at the pass, as they say, with awareness. I think Archer and I have been doing a lot of this the last few weeks in this crazy time. But this time, his body needed a full distraction. And I was so grateful for that deep sleep of his. I imagine you have times when you have made it through great pain too. Emotional pain is the same. It has a somatic sensation attached to it. And if we move towards it, giving it space, it doesn't have to grip us so tightly. I know it's easier said than done. I had a lot of times to practice it with Archer. And then there were the prayers. Those sweet distractions from 
they were like little sparks in the darkness, transforming our darkness. I knew I was being changed too. Have you ever had one of these times? I couldn't have articulated it at the time, but those sparks did transport me. They burned away all that was unnecessary or that was getting in the way or that I was allowing to get in the way, including my emotional pain, and instead gave me the light to see only what was truly essential and the courage to go back to the parts of the emotional pain I still needed to make peace with later. In these two or three days of such touch and go and end of the line, as I watched Archer so closely, I wanted to be close to God, close to my family, and close to my friends. That mattered. I prayed Archer and all of us would live through this pain and somehow be better. Please, Lord, help me make the right decision. Do we take Archer to the Shepherd Center? Over five years later, I had the chance to interview Bernadette Morrow from the Christopher and Dana Reed Foundation as we looked back on this time and her earth-shattering call to me. I can't even tell you all the names of people who, who came in with Archer's story. And then the irony is when my son started college at, at Catholic, he was wearing one of Archer's shirts and he went in for his disabled student orientation kind of thing or for his monthly meeting and she goes oh do you know archer and he goes oh i got this from my mom yeah she's helping the family it was just it was such a small world such an incredible small so, world. yeah you know we received lots of inquiries about archer um through many people uh some in the spinal cord injury community some in the larger Baltimore community, and many of them um, from your college days um, in Virginia. Um, yes, and right. um, one of the first individuals to reach out um, had a connection to our former chairman of our board. And an introduction was done. He reached out to me. And then, um, you know, the our attitude and my approach is, Families are under enough stress. I apologize. For That's all right. But families are under enough stress. The last thing that you need is um, uh, us invading uh, your your privacy during the most stressful, traumatic time of your life. So we never reach out to the families directly. But if somebody reaches out to us on um, your behalf then we asked that they do the introduction and that's what was done. And, um, so I emailed with, um, one of your sorority sisters, husbands, I believe it was. And, um, we ended up talking and it was a long talk and it was a talk as if we had always known each other. That's how I remember it. It was a brutal talk. It was very honest and candid. Um, and I have to say, you know, at, at times, um, you know, Archer's injury crossed over into my life because I have a son that's the same age. Um, they played the same sports. They were very similar. 
Um, and it was really hard because as I talked to you about Archer, all I could see was my son's face. You know, I'm sure that first call we had, you didn't think you were ever going to survive it. Yeah, I am. Um, I didn't know what it would look like. But, um, no, we never I did. Knew. I did believe that that we would survive. I just didn't know if it would be a we. Um, yeah. Although I, I believed. I never saw Archer dying. I saw him walking. I, I did, and I think that's why some people thought I was a bit delusional. Um, but I needed to figure out how to how to move from a belief to something that even if it never yeah. happens, we've done the best we could, and he's not dying in this hospital. It can happen to anybody in a blink of an eye. And that's something I've always said over and over again. And so what I'd want families who don't, who've never been through this is to realize that adversity of any kind, not just physical, but adversity can help anybody at any minute. You may think you're protected and you're in this this bubble, but your bubble could pop. And what needs to happen is that you need to have the grace and willingness to be open, to accept help, um, to share your fears if we're, we're comfortable, um, but put your pride aside and do what's best for your family member. The insurance lady threw back the curtain and did not pay any attention to our sign on the outside of Archer's room to please knock and whisper. She announced in a crisp, perfunctory voice, I'm here to get the name and address of the long-term acute care facility. I said, what facility? She repeated, a long-term acute care facility where your son will go. I was puzzled. No one had said anything about this, and I had never heard about that facility and didn't know what it was. I thought we were looking at rehabilitation options, and I said, I don't know what you mean. We're doing our best to find a rehabilitation facility. Is that what you need? She said, I can't answer any questions, ma'am. I just did the insurance billing. Something inside me didn't feel right. But I guess they saw what I had been wondering about, too. How would Archer start rehab in the condition he was in? I picked up my phone to call Dr. Tolucci. There was so much going on I couldn't even imagine tending to at the moment. Like a phone call I had received earlier from Chad DeSatnik in Cape May. I seemed to recall he was a friend of Paula's from way back when they were kids, palling around on the Cape May beaches. I thought he had an accident, too, in the ocean from surfing years ago. I wondered what he wanted. I texted Paula to see if she could return his call. I closed my eyes and took in the sounds of the nature. But I was aware. I was also angry. Atlantic Care was out of options, and I was getting this feeling that they just wanted to get rid of Archer. I did. I honestly think that was the truth, or a good part of it. And I could understand why. 
I realized too that they could see something potentially very bad was going to happen with Archer on their watch. As I took in the soft sounds of nature in Archer's room, and I breathed in the light scent of lavender, it calmed me too. I said a little prayer to Mary to bring some grace to the phone call I was about to make to Dr. Don Leslie on his personal cell phone on a Saturday morning. I didn't want to cross any boundaries, but I dialed anyway, and he picked up. I introduced myself that Archer and I were at Atlantic Care in New Jersey in the purpose of my call. He told me he was driving in the car with his wife headed out to the mountains of North Carolina for the weekend. I apologized for intruding and thanked him for any assistance he might be willing to give, telling him I was given his number by a friend and a contact at the Christopher Reeve Foundation who reached out to tell me we should be at the Shepherd Center and that he was the man to call. He was perfectly gracious. I asked him if he could help navigate how to get Archer evaluated so we could be considered for the Shepherd Center. He said he would be in touch with me on Monday. I reiterated our name, Archer, A-R-C-H-E-R, sent. Thank you, sir. God bless you. I could feel the wheels of progress moving again, and I felt hopeful. Like the little red engine said, I think I can, I think I can. Life can change in the blink of an eye. Life is so precious. Hope for everything. Obtain. Thank you for tuning in to the Blink of an Eye story. You may continue listening this Saturday to the Trauma Healing Learnings that accompany this story at Trauma Healing Learning 15, Moving Towards the Pain. Thank you for listening and telling your friends. Together, we are raising the vibration for healing. You've been listening to Blink of an Eye. We ask that you share this with anyone who may need inspiration, a lift, or who may relate. Never miss an episode. Listen on our website, blinkofaneyepodcast.com, or subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is sponsored by Baltimore Mediation. For 28 years, Baltimore Mediation has served clients worldwide by facilitating negotiation breakthroughs, believing in their capacity for meaningful face-to-face dialogue. You can learn more at baltimoremediation.com.